Most beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, today we celebrate a truly great feast in the calendar of our Church, the Transfiguration of our Lord. This feast we celebrate the revelation of a new reality. Today it was revealed that which had already come, a reality which began when Christ entered the womb of the Theotokos. But today the mingling of the divine and human natures of Christ was revealed to mankind. We call it the Feast of the Transfiguration, but Christ did not change. It was not possible for Christ to change. Christ simply revealed to his disciples who he truly was, as much as they could bear, kathosi dinanto, as we chant in the dismissal hymn of the feast. Let us also then go up this mountain where Christ was transfigured, so that we too may receive a taste of who Christ truly is. But before we can ascend Mount Tabor, it's important for us to first understand the state of the Apostles prior to this event. In all three of the Gospels, where the event of the Transfiguration is recorded, immediately prior to the Transfiguration, Christ says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Imagine how much this saying would have troubled the disciples. They were following Christ as a great teacher. They would have been astounded by his miracles. His teachings would have resonated with them. Maybe they even expected that Christ would make them great also. But he Christ is telling them to deny themselves, to take up their cross, to lose their life. Surely they would have struggled as to why Christ wanted them to live such a difficult life. But as the three of them very soon found out, a life of the cross, a life of denying oneself, is one which brings paradise even in this life. That is why Christ then immediately says to them, Assuredly I say to you, There are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This very soon became a reality for three of the disciples. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So Christ takes three of his disciples and leads them up the mountain of Tabor. But why did he only take Peter, James and John? Peter, because he loved the Lord, John, since he was loved by the Lord, and James, because he was a man of integrity, he will not tell the other disciples what he saw. Why did Jesus not take up all of his disciples? Jesus knew that the three he selected would not have been scandalized. Others may have been scandalized after seeing Christ transfigured, recognizing his divinity, then 40 days later seeing him crucified. These three were not an elite group within the twelve disciples. Christ did not show bias towards them. Peter, James and John were the only ones that were ready to witness such an event at that particular point in time. We should also reflect that Christ took the the disciples up a mountain by themselves. This teaches us how we should pray. We need to have the time to pray alone, undistracted from the world. 
high up on a mountain means that our prayer needs to be free from worldly cares. Christ could have easily been transfigured in the city, but we see that he saw the beauty of stillness. Our prayer should also be as if we were up on a mountain, alone, just me and God. We should be able to stand before an icon in silence and feel God's presence, to talk to God, to love him and to form a relationship with him. Once Christ had taken up Peter, James and John up the mountain, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Christ reveals himself to the apostles. He reveals his divine and human nature. But as St. Gregory Palamas mentions, it is wrong to think that this light of the transfiguration goes and comes into being. In fact, this light is imperceptible to the human senses. It was the spiritual eyes of the apostles that opened that enabled them to see this light as much as the Holy Spirit granted them to do so. Only those with a pure heart are able to open their spiritual eyes to see such great wonders. As we said earlier, Christ did not change anything. The apostles merely got a taste of who Christ is. The light of the transfiguration that Christ manifested did not come into existence during this event, but was always present, only invisible to those around him. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Christ raised Moses from Hades and brought down Elijah from heaven. But a simple question that even children might ask is how did the apostles recognize the prophets? They did not have icons back then. The church fathers say that in paradise we will recognize and know everyone around us, even if we have never seen them before. This is exactly what the apostles experienced at the transfiguration. It was a taste of paradise. And why did Christ have Moses and Elijah present? Firstly, these were the greatest of the prophets, so it shows the disciples and the Jews that Christ in no way is overturning the law. His teachings are perfectly compatible with the Old Testament, and this is evident by having Moses, the giver of the law, present with him as well as Elijah, who was jealous for the glory of God. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Many of the fathers criticized Peter for saying these words, that he was attempting to abandon his apostolic duties. The fathers also say that this was another way for Peter to try and prevent Christ from being killed by the Jews. He would have thought, we are up here on this isolated mountain. No one knows where we are. We have Moses with us, the lawgiver, so the Jews would say nothing to Jesus if they saw Moses here. And Elijah, who brought down fire onto the mountain, surely he would protect us. Even though Peter had already been rebuked by Jesus for having these ideas, it just shows the love Peter had for Christ. But let us also consider another meaning to this verse. Peter was so overwhelmed by this experience that he wanted to stay there forever. His eyes had been opened, and seeing a small glimpse of the glory of God, he didn't want it to end. It was such a beautiful experience for him. 
we too can have such experiences. The transfigured Lord is present in every divine liturgy, but our eyes are closed and we do not see His true glory. If only we could ascend the mountain, leaving everything worldly behind, and truly participate in the banquet that Christ has prepared for us. If this is the case, then when we experience the beauty of this place, we have no other option than to say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It is as if we are saying, This is what I want for my life. This is what I choose for my life. I want to live here now in this life. I don't want to wait till I die before I can live in this beautiful place. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Why did God the Father say these words? To show the apostles that even though they were about to see Christ crucified, to know that he is still God, that he is loved by the Father, in whom I am well pleased, shows that the Father sees Christ as being equally perfect with him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Let us finally reflect on what the transfiguration means for us. Elder Milianos of Simonopetra Monastery says that our entire lives should be a tabor. As we said, one may criticize the apostles for wanting to abandon their apostolic duties to build tents and stay on tabor. But it is this very longing that is at the core of our existence a longing to be with Christ in this life and in the life to come, a longing to experience Christ even from now. No one immerses themselves in orthodoxy for any other reason, otherwise it would simply be an ideology with no benefit whatsoever. The hope of man to return to his original beauty is intertwined with his very longing to participate in this light of Christ to experience and participate in the energies of God, as St. Gregory Palamas says. Christ has called us to ascend the mountain with him, but we ultimately need to decide if we want to follow him or not. We must decide if we want to stay at the level that we are at, to stay where we are comfortable, to remain conformed to the world, or will we leave these behind, Will we renew our mind and be transformed as Christ was? Will we follow Christ up the mountain and leave everything behind, everything that keeps us grounded? When we say no to this world and ascend the mountain together with Christ, then we begin to participate in His glory. Then we can experience the kingdom from this life. Otherwise, if we stay at sea level, then we remain blind to the fact that Christ is in our midst. We fail to see God's present in our lives. We cannot see the wonders that surround us on a daily basis. Only when we remove our attachments to the world 
when we purify our hearts, do we begin to experience the gifts that God has given us as they truly are. 